All right, well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us. It is a beautiful day, and you could be a million other places. And so you took some time to spend with us either in person, online, or watching this later, and we're glad you just took the time to do that. A couple of announcements before we get started. we got a lot of stuff coming up. It's fall, so it's beautiful. I mean, there's a lot of people still going to the lake and backpacking and, and camping, and, and football was yesterday, and the game was late, and go cats, and, and, car, and cards. <laughs> Both wins. We don't have to be upset right now. Both teams won. Uh, today is the big day for NFL kicking back off, and some of you guys get to watch your you know, teams you cheer for. I get to watch a team that I own um, today at 4.30, and so uh, if you want to know more about that, I, you, I'll sign autographs later. I do own an NFL team. Uh, three shares of the Green Bay Packers. And so, uh, so anyway, so yeah, so lots of stuff coming up. It's exciting time. Fall Fest is coming up September 30th. It's our big fall community uh, thing. This is a church thing, but it's not at all. We just basically take over this whole end of town, and we have food vendors or food trucks and vendors and stuff for the kids and all kinds of stuff. September 30th is from 5 to 8. Last year, we stopped counting at 2,000 people. We don't even know how many people end up coming out to this thing. Uh, but we, t- we take over, basically, I said, this whole t- part of town. Uh, today, if you are on Facebook, we will have a post on there. And if you share that um, with your friends and family and invite them, you automatically enter to win a gift card we're going to give away just for sharing. Uh, there's also a link to volunteer because we need lots of volunteers for that event. And so you can volunteer for that event as well. It's September 30th. The backup date is October 14th. Uh, then also last week, we've been talking about our small groups, which is our packs here. Make sure and sign up if you want to be involved or stop by the Welcome Center. You can talk to me, Rusty. April's not here, but you can talk to her sometime. Um, and this is the first round. This is something that's going to keep going. Our goal is eventually that as many people as possible are in a small group or a pack. And so if you are more interested in that, you can and talk to us about that as well. Uh, Journey turns 11 on October 10th. Um, and last, no, yeah, that's right. I don't even know how old we are. So last year was, I used to have hair. That's all I remember. So last year was a complete wash with everything going on. And we had this huge thing planned. And obviously, we couldn't do any of it because of COVID and everything going on. Uh, so this year, we're cranking it to 11. And uh, we've got some, nobody, final tap, anybody? Okay. So me, yeah, I like that. So this year, we're cranking it to 11. And we've got some big things planned for that day on October 10th. So make sure you come uh, that Sunday um, for that. So much other stuff. Download the app. It's the best way to give. You don't, we don't pass plates around here. It's the best way to give. There are offering things um, out, outside the, the ramps as well. Sign up for the MailChimp. Follow us on Facebook. Listen to the podcast, Divinely Uninspired. We have so much fun making that, um, and we hope that you guys enjoy that as well. It's a lot about what's going on at Journey. It's kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff as well, and there's a new episode coming out this week. Now, we are, it's all good stuff, but you're here for a sermon, so I'm going to give you one. Uh, today, we're wrapping up the series Connect Four, and we're launching into another series next week called Greater, and I want to start, um, kind of bridge the two ideas of where we are now versus where we're going with this quote. It's a Tim Keller quote. It's one of the quotes that when I was starting Journey uh, 10 years ago with a group of friends here, uh, we, I read this book called Center Church, and this quote stuck out to me, and here's what it says. It says this, if you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you notice you were gone? And we want to answer that question with a yes, because of over 10 years, I mean, there's been a lot that's happened. A lot has changed. We started with 20 people in a library right across the street. Then we moved to the school. I grew that. We moved to the front of this building. I grew that. We've since, we were talking that day, we have renovated, if you ever were in here when this was a, a furniture warehouse, uh, we have renovated every square inch of this lower part of the building. And, and so a lot has happened, and that's great, but 
At the end of the day, if Journey was to pack up tomorrow, would people in our community even really care? And that's the question we, we, we always kind of drive everything through. But then the other question I thought was not only is it would the community around us notice, because here's my thing, and I'm not trying to pick on other churches. Um, there's a lot of churches, including churches I've been a part of, that if they were to close their doors tomorrow, I'm not sure that anybody that the people attended would even notice. And we don't want to be that type of community or type of body. And then the other thing is if we were to lock the doors tomorrow, which we're not, but if we were, would you even notice or care? Like you would notice and care because like, you know, you, you want to attend a church, but let's be honest, there's other great churches in the area with other great teachers and, and worship that's great and they've got coffee out front and they have way better buildings than ours. Like our building, I walk into other church buildings and I'm like, yours is pretty awesome. I mean, do you live in a warehouse that's 120 years old though, right? You know, and, and so, but are we making that big of an impact that the community around us would be affected, but more importantly, that you would be affected, the people that actually attend here. I mean, the reality is right now, the world that we live in is confusing, and there's a lot of conflict, and there's tension, and there's hurt feelings, and there's just some really hard stuff. And we're not the only ones going through it, like everybody's kind of going through it, and, and we're not the only ones that, through history that have gone through stuff like this. I mean, you really should study it. It's fascinating. I mean, there, there's cycles of these type of things. But I get it. Like What we're going through right now is really tough, and, and there's a lot of people asking questions, and there's a lot of people hurting, and a lot of people confused by what's going on. And, and so how do we respond to it? Are we a church that's responding that we're meeting the needs of our community, but that also we're meeting the needs of each other? And that's kind of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. There, there's this verse that I used a few weeks ago that stuck with me, and it's haunted me um, just because it, it's one of these things where when you say it, it's really easy to say. It's much harder to apply. And so it's when Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're talking about who's you know, going to do this and that and that type of thing. And, and Jesus breaks it down and he says, okay, you know how the world works. And then he says this. He says, but not so with you, talking about us as Christians. And it, it really stuck with me because I'll be honest with you, um, and I hope this is a safe space and this doesn't leave the room other than online. And so... Um, <laughs> Every once in a while, if I'm really honest, and I will be right now, I get really frustrated with Christians. Now, before you feel like I'm talking about you, understand I really get frustrated with myself a lot too, okay? But I really get frustrated with the general behavior of Christians. I'm not the only one. There's this great quote by Brendan Manning. It's an old quote, and he says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And it's like this, this attitude that we have. Listen, none of us are perfect. We're not always going to get it right. I am not perfect at all. Spend some time with me and you will quickly pick up on that. But, but sometimes I'm shocked by how low we set the expectation. And our expectations for ourselves relationally and how we interact with people around us is so low that it can be discouraging. My favorite part of my job is not actually this. I don't mind doing this, and it's fun, and I get to talk, and you all don't get to. So it's a good thing, but it's fine at all. But my favorite part of my job is actually not this. My favorite part of my job is when I meet with people and we close the door of my office or we go to a coffee shop and we sit down 
And we get to talk about the hard things in life and the conflicts that they're facing and the tough things that they're facing and the confusion that they have. It's actually my favorite thing. And, and truly, over the years, I've met with many of you. And I think you think that you're burdening me, but you don't realize that that's actually what I'm doing. And that's like my favorite part of my job. It's what I, I love to do because we all have conflict. And we all have hard things we have to work through and things that get confusing at times. And I mean, that's part of my job is conflict resolution, not only with our staff here and leaders at our church, but with many of you guys getting to walk through and talk through some of the hard things of life. But if I'm honest, sometimes when I walk away from these conflicts that I hear about or even conflicts I'm involved in, sometimes I walk away and I go, you know, if those people had just exhibited just some basic Christ-like behavior, this may not have escalated to where it got to. And so I see a lot of conflict going on right now, a lot of relational conflict, a lot of personal conflict, a lot of conflict in our community, a lot of conflict with, I mean, there's just a lot of it, right? And a lot of tension. And so what are we doing with that? I mean, we are a group of people from all different backgrounds and influences and all different religious things and understandings, and even within Christianity, all these different denominations and all this stuff. But, but I think the thing that we have in common for most of us, and I realize not everybody listening to this or watching this later or even in this room is a committed follower of Jesus, and I get that. I acknowledge that. But those of us that are, we have invited Jesus into our life. We have invited the Holy Spirit into our life to guide us. And we've invited God to kind of be the lead of our life. And so when it comes to conflict, when it comes to the world around us, because it is confusing and it is hard, are our responses, are our behaviors, are our relationships really Christ-like? Years ago, I was at a conference and a speaker got up and he said this, and I wrote it down in my notes and it's, it's stuck with me, and I think it's really important. I think every church should ask this. I think every person should ask this. But here's the quote. Is what's going on in here really worth taking out there? And so if we have a world that's confused and hurting, is what's going on in here, let's be honest, we think it is, but is what's going on in here relationally and the way we treat each other and the way we love each other, is it really worth actually exporting out there? And would it be a good thing if the way our relationships are in here were the way that we put on the world that their relationships should be? Would that actually be a good thing or would that be a bad thing? And here's the question, is it really that different? Because the world is watching and paying attention. Now, there's a lot of things that Jesus taught that, if I'm honest with you, um, I don't really understand. Like, there's a lot of, like, figs and fish and, you know, eyes of the needle and all this stuff. And and I get what he's kind of saying, and there's a lot of stuff that he even says, I'm telling you these things so no one will understand. And you're like, well, that was helpful, Jesus, you know, but uh, he does. He says that one time. And and so some of the stuff I get, but, but every once in a while, Jesus is, like, crystal clear. And this is one of those teachings. And we've talked about this before, and this is not the first time, and it probably won't be the last time, but in John chapter 13, Jesus gives this talk to his followers, which is the guys that are there, but it kind of transcends that. It even goes further to to, to us today. And in John 13, he says this, starting in verse 33, he says, Dear children, I will only be with you a little longer, because he's leaving. He's towards the end of his life here on earth. And he says, as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So he's going somewhere else. He's not going to be here anymore. So here's the famous verse. We've talked about it a million times. 
So now I'm giving you a new commandment, which is not really a new one. It's just really, he's, he's kind of doubling down on this. He says, love each other. Okay, and, and, and here's what he, he's kind of saying. So let's just leave that there for a second. Um, so, so here's what he's saying. I'm leaving, and you're going to want to be connected to me. But I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to be gone. And so the way that you actually connect to me when I'm not here is actually the way you connect to each other. Does that make sense? So, so if you want to be connected to me, listen, I'm not going to be here. Just, just know that. So, so the way that you do it is that you love each other. So he goes on, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Now, what I hate about this is it's so painfully clear. You don't have to know any Greek. You don't need a commentary. You don't need four years of Bible college and four years of seminary to be able to understand what he's saying. If I want to be connected to Jesus and what he's doing, if we want to be the body of Christ, if we want to bring clarity to the confusion of the world, if we want to help with the conflict that our world faces, by this, this is the idea in verse 35, he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the standard. It's not about, you know, we think that the way people will know that we're followers of Jesus is if we go to church, right? Can I just tell you this and don't let it leave the room? There are really terrible people that go to church, right? Now, this is how everybody's going to know. Any questions about that? Any mystery? I mean, it's pretty crystal clear, and it's painful because it's so obvious. And then Simon Peter, he asked this question. And it's similar to the question that we would ask. Um, Lord, where are you going? And I think at this moment, Jesus is like, did you not listen to anything I just said? Did you not pay any attention to any of it? And he missed it. And so do we. Because see, what Simon's saying is, no, Jesus is going to say, I want to be close to you. So wherever you're going, that's where I'm going to go. And, and I don't want to be with these guys, right? I don't want to be with Matthew, right? Judas, he's going to betray. I don't want to be with these guys. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be connected to me, the way you connect to me is through each other. I want you to love each other. That's how you're close to me. The way you treat each other and the way you treat people who aren't like you is going to be the standard for how people know if you're connected to me. And here's what you know. It's not just so other people know you're connected to Jesus. The gauge is it's how you know you're connected to Jesus. It's interesting to me that, that after this, that Jesus is going to have this moment where he's going to pray. We call it the high priestly prayer. It's in John chapter 17. And do you know of all of the things that Jesus could pray for? Do you know what he prays for, for you and for me? I mean, you should read this chapter because it's actually Jesus' prayer for you and for me. He actually prays for you and me in the Bible. He prays for unity, guided by relationship and love. That's what he prays for. He prays for unity for us in relationship with each other. So what this means for me is it's crystal clear and it's really painful sometimes is I have to love you when you aren't lovable. 
And I have to be what God in Christ was for me to you. And that's what you have to be for me. By this one thing. Now, if you spent much time around here, you know that we talk about love a lot. And if you know me outside of this, you also know I'm probably not really a lovey-dovey person. But, but here's the thing. I can't get away from it because every time I open the scriptures and every time I study it, it's so central to what Jesus talks about. And it's so central to what Paul asked the church to do. Early on, he writes to the early church in Corinth, and he is so crystal clear on the importance of this. I mean, if you actually read this through, and, and, and I encourage you to, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He starts off by saying this, now you are the body of Christ. Now he's speaking to a church, but again, this transcends the church in Corinth. It continues on to us. And each one of you is a part of it. Now he's going to say a whole lot more, but if he just stopped there and didn't say another word, and we just camped down on what he means by this application, it would solve just about all of our other problems. Because here's what I know. So he's referring to like you're the body of Christ. You're like a physical body. It's all these different parts made up that make one thing. So, so here's what he's saying. Okay. Do you know how the members of your body treat each other? Do you know? Well. Because the parts that physically make your body know that they have to work together. They are dependent upon each other for the body to be healthy. If parts of the body decide to start going rogue and doing their own thing, and if parts of your body decide, they, your, your foot cannot decide it does not want to be a part of your body anymore, right? It is dependent, and so is the church. It's a perfect analogy. Do you know what you call division in your body? Disease and illness. And you go at great lengths to avoid it. And if you get a disease, if you get an illness, if you get that, do you know what you do? You go to the doctor and you do whatever it takes to eradicate that thing. And Paul is saying, you are a body. We are a body. And then he's going to do something fascinating because he's going to change it up. He's going to say, okay, so there's a body, there's all these different parts. And so he's, and one of the things that you have to understand about the Bible, and hopefully you already know this before I tell you this, um, in the original writings, there were no chapters and verses. Chapters and verses came along a lot later. There also were no headings. Don't think that Paul was like, I don't need to call this chapter this. Okay, None of that existed. So it came on later, and it's a good thing because it helps us find things, but sometimes it's a bad thing because it breaks up thoughts, and we don't continue with one thought as Paul is trying to do. So he's saying, okay, so you're the body of Christ. And then he says this, and God has placed in the church, verse 28, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of all different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So he's breaking down in the first century church all of the kind of different gifts and ideas that people have about what it means to be these people. And do you know what the church has done with those verses? Because we pull them out of the context of the bigger idea of what Paul's talking about. Do you know what we've done with those verses? We've divided over them. There are denominations built around our understanding of those verses. 
which is exactly the counter of what Paul is trying to say. I think Paul would say, are you kidding? I am making the most important point possible. Because if you follow his line of thought all the way from when he says you are the body of Christ all the way to where we're going to go today, do you know what he says? And it's all right in a row. He says, all of those things we just mentioned, they're great. They're all secondary. There is only one primary thing we have to get right. You know what he says next after he says that? Verse 31 but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So he's saying there's greater gifts than healing and teaching and doing miracles, right? If I could do miracles, do you know how big our church would be right now? (laughs) Like if I could just heal people, and I'm not, listen, I don't want to get into the whole debate about all that stuff, but if I could just like perform, if I could think about it. And he's saying there are greater things than those, and now I will show you the most excellent Way. So whatever he says next to Paul, who knew more, I can guarantee you, about what God is trying to do in the world than just about anybody that's ever lived, says whatever comes out next, okay, is the most important thing. Now, you always, always tell me we need more Bible studies around here. Here you go, all right? Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, you've probably heard this verse before, and and guys like me love to teach this verse, okay? But let's just think about it for a minute. What this is saying, if I have the most amazing ability to communicate and teach that everyone pays attention Everybody understands what I said. We're baptizing people every week. High schoolers even want to come to church because it's just so fascinating to them, right? Okay, if I have all of that, but I don't love, I'm just noise. You, you could have the greatest insights. I mean, that's what people want. They want to go into these like Bible studies. And I'm not knocking Bible studies. They're important. And they want to have these like things where we just like, oh, that was so good. Paul's saying, listen, you could communicate this better than anybody else could. But if you don't have love, then you're just noise. He goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I can have faith that move mountains, here's what he's saying. You might be the most insightful person when it comes to faith. You see things that nobody sees. And so you post about it on Facebook because nobody's ever thought about that. I get it, right? You are just, listen, Paul said, you are just so smart. You know how to fix everything. You get to the bottom faster than anyone, but you don't love. And then he says this, he says, if you have faith that can move mountains. Now, we see that, and this is actually a play on something Jesus is going to say earlier, but think about this. When we think about faith, like, we all have mountains in our life we want to move, We have relational mountains and physical mountains. We have stuff that happens to our bodies. It happens in our marriages and it happens in our life. We all have mountains that we want to move. And our thinking is if we had just enough faith to move that mountain, I mean, how awesome would that be? We think that's the goal, that if I have the faith to move the mountain in my life, but do you hear what Paul says? But if you you might be able to do that, that's awesome. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. If I possess, 
If I give all I have to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not love. I mean, this is such extreme language. You got to understand what he's saying. It should be if it's verse 3. If it's not, that's on me. Here's what he's saying. If, if I do these things, but I'm only doing them so you see them and think about how great I am. Do you ever know people like that? Okay. He's like, listen, I, I'm going to give everything. Okay, I, I get it. I'm, I'm going to give all that I can. But if I'm doing it, and it's not on the screen, but he says that I may boast. People that are generous only so other people will think that they're generous. It's great. Jesus has this brilliant teaching where he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because the temptation is to do just good so that others will look at you and think how great that person is. And Paul warns, okay, you can do that, but if you do this, he says, you gain nothing. And then if that wasn't enough, because that's, that's, that's good stuff, but, but if that wasn't enough, this is where he gets super personal. And here's my, my plea to you guys, if you take a few more minutes just to work through this. Um, don't be people that hear what we're about to talk about and go, hmm, that's, that's convicting. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'll probably forget about it before we get to the car, but that was, that was so convicting. Do you know that most people, and if this is you, I'm not trying to pick on you. Do you know what most people think are true religious experiences? Feeling convicted and guilty. The religious experience that God is after, you think, is the depth of spirituality that's going to change the world is that I feel guilty. I feel the weight of the Spirit on me. And well, what are you going to do with it when you get home? Well, I didn't do anything. I'm just going to come back next week so I'll feel it again. Do you know that unapplied truth does no good? It's not the knowing that makes the difference. It's the doing that makes the difference. And so here's what Paul says next. Love is patient. Do you think that Paul was a naturally patient person? I do not. I've read the book of Acts. I heard one time somebody say, if you teach from your own weakness, you'll never run out of material. So, love is patient. And this is not my thing. I can't remember where I picked this up, but I have a note with the word patience in it in my laptop because I need to be reminded of patience a lot. But I heard this one time. Do you know what patience is? And some of you need to know this, but I can tell you above anybody else in this room needs to know this, I need to know this. Patience is I will adjust my speed I'm going to adjust my speed instead of expecting you to adjust your speed. That's patience. Now, for some of you in this room, that would change your marriage, wouldn't it? That's what love is. It's patient. Love is kind. Do you know what every single unchurched person in the world wants? Let me rephrase that. Do you know what every person in the world wants? people to be kind to them. And there are people who rarely ever experience kindness on any level. Some of you, you know that because that's your story. 
Kindness is this idea where I'm going to loan you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. I'm going to do something for you to help you. I'm going to take what I have access to you and give it to you without having to remind you of your failure and your weakness and your inability to do it by yourself. Then when you're messing up, I am coming to figure out a way to come in and support you without bringing attention to your failure and weakness. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. In in other words, it celebrates the accomplishments of other people. It's happy for other people. Are you happy for other people? Do you set in other people's celebrations? Do you get excited when other people have victories ready that you wish you could have? It's not envious. Do you you know the grossest thing in the world to me is envy? And you know why it's so gross? Because I have it all the time. It's icky. It's yuck. So what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the people that have the things that we wish we had. They're doing the things we wish we could do. Now, here's the thing. That's convicting for me. I hope it's convicting for you. But, but this is what we're supposed to be characterized. And, and listen, all of us are going to have waves of jealousy. It's impossible to go through this life, especially in our culture, without jealousy knocking its ugly you know, head around the corner. But, but we don't have to be envious. We don't have to be jealous. We don't have to do this. Now, here, here's a good one. It says, it does not dishonor others. This is where the ethic of Jesus separates itself from everything else. If it dishonors another person, you ever been dishonored? I have. You remember how it felt? Remember how it felt when you found out people were talking about you behind your back? Remember when it found out that that's what they really think about you? Sometimes people are just bold. They'll just tell you. Here's the question. Why would we ever do that to another person, knowing how it felt when it happened to us? Well, that's how the world works. Well, Jesus comes along and says, but not so with you. If it's not good for him, it's not love. If it's dishonoring to her, it's not love. If it's dishonoring to his wife or her husband, it's not love. I am not going to be self-seeking and and being self-seeking dishonor another person. Do you know why I'm not going to do it? Because number one, I know how it feels when it's done to me. But more importantly, I am an extraordinarily lucky person because God in heaven sent his son to this earth to honor the most dishonorable, self-seeking person I know. And do you know how I know that? Because I know myself better than anybody else in this room. It is not easily angered. I don't even have to say anything else about that, right? It keeps no record of wrongs. I grew up being taught that, that when God forgives you, he forgets your sins. It's really bad theology. It's actually really terrible theology. It's like God's up in heaven going, David and who? 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 What? Don't remind him. He forgot. I know I punished some folks, but I just can't remember what that was for, right? You'd have to like skip over the whole Old Testament, right? God doesn't forget your sins. That's actually the beauty of it. He knows what you've done, and he chooses to love you anyway. He just doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And here's why this is important, because, see, this is what I want. 
I don't want people going around remembering every stupid thing I ever said or every mean thing I ever did or every dumb thing I ever did. So why would I do that to other people? Especially knowing that God in heaven did not do that to me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices the truth. It always protects. Imagine living in a world, being part of a body that everybody wants to protect each other. When people speak ill of them, when people try to hurt them, I am coming to their defense. I'm shutting down the conversation. I'm going to protect their reputation. I'm going to protect their safety. It always trusts. Do you trust people? I have a hard time with it. But trust is the ability to jump to not to jump to conclusions, but to assume there's a good reason. Do you know that? It's the ability not to jump to conclusions. And so we have to create generous environments because I want you to be patient with me. I want you to be trusting me. I want you to not jump to conclusions with me. And does it sound foolish? Absolutely, it sounds foolish. But you know what I know I figured out over time with people? We're funny creatures. If you start to trust somebody and you continue to trust them, If they are a healthy person at all, and that's the caveat, if they're healthy, they may actually try to live up to that. Always hopes, which means we never size people up and write people off. I'm tempted to do that. You're tempted to do that. But I have to remember my Savior could have easily sized me up and written me off. And so who am I to ever write off anybody? Always perseveres. Here's what it says. He says this. Love, verse 8, Never fails, but where the prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Again, these are all secondary things. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody in this room remember what I preached about last last September? Because I don't. Did you know that what was brilliant 50 years ago, middle schoolers know now? Did you know that, that you and I aren't that big of a deal? And we're really not all that smart. What we think is brilliant will eventually become common knowledge. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, so what is he talking about? What's in it, this part disappears. And what he's doing is Paul's undermining all of our arrogance that we have to ignore what he's going to say. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Do you know what Paul's saying to us? And maybe some of you just really need to hear this because I know I do. Grow up. Quit thinking like children. Quit thinking like people who have no hope. Quit thinking like people who think today is all that there is. Before you fire off that email, before you reply to that post or send that comment, before you send that text, before you talk about that person in that way, before you get that attitude, before you write that person off, say, wait, no, no, see, that's, that's, what, that's what children do. I am not a child anymore. See, this we can get right because do you know what happens that I've learned? Love works in every language and every culture and across every generation. To treat people the way that Jesus has treated us. For now, we see only a reflection is in the mirror, verse 12. Then we shall see face to face. Now I only know in part, and I love this, and I love the language that Paul uses in the Greek because he's talking about we only see part of the picture. And so here's what I want to tell you about only seeing part of the picture. Can I tell you what I know? One day, the things that you think are so big right now will seem so small. That thing, that issue, that conflict, that disagreement, that point of view 
We thought it was such a big deal. And guess what? It wasn't. Now I know in part, then I shall now fully, even as I am fully known. And so what is it that Paul is going to fully know where everything else falls away and everything else is stripped away? Ready? And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Paul takes the entire Bible and says of everything that we know that God has told us, the only three things that are going to remain are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so here's the thing. Ready? If we want to be close to him, if we want to make a difference, if we want to create change in a world that's so desperately in need for it, if you want to be the spouse your loved one needs, if you want to be the parent your kid needs, if, you want to, if we want to be the church that our community needs and wants, and if we're going to be the church community that you need, and if we're actually going to be the body of Christ, it's going to make a difference in this world. I get confused by a lot that Jesus says, but this one is painfully clear. We choose to love. Let's pray.